Ronananian. So I'm getting a busy single from my mechanics. So okay. I thought I'd talk to you. Is there a way that I can pull the sensors off and bench test it? Airbags are a little are a little on the tricky side. They kind of shy away from resistance testing of airbag circuits in general. They're worried it could trigger an airbag. Well, this 39 Ford the car doctor. Sometimes you buy a used car and the mechanic can make the best of intentions going over it and he just never knows what he's going to run into. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here for you at 855-560-9900. The number again, 855-560-9900. Just happy to be here, nice and safe and sound in studio. Uh, long week in the shop, just all kinds of crazy repairs. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but I want to point out that this radio show is really here for you. You can call 855-560-9900. Leave a message if we're not on the air. And uh, we're, you know, we're live Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. in the afternoon, uh, Eastern Time, East Coast Time. But you can call the 855-560-9900 anytime, day or night. If you're taking this show uh, on podcast or if you're a local uh, regular terrestrial radio affiliate is taking it, you know, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday night, whatever, you can uh, call, leave a message, and Tom Ray will put you in the queue for the next live broadcast and get you up here on the big stage and we can talk about your car and its problem. Man, what a week at the shop. Um, Monday, and we, cleaned, we cleared out a lot of headache cars this week. Monday, it was an 88 Lincoln Town car that I've been telling the owner for the past three years it's time to go. You know, it's like exit stage right. Um, uh, that was from a cartoon in the 60s. I got to think about that. That'll come to me. But, you know, just... <sighs> You know the car's in trouble when you start it up and there's a knocking sound from the front of the motor and it's 11,000 miles overdue on a 185,000-mile Lincoln Town car. Like, yeah, not so good. You know, and there's no oil on the dipstick and just a mess. But that is that wasn't even the issue. The issue was, you know, the car's kind of getting rusty underneath. You sort of need a tetanus shot after you look at it because you're afraid you're just going to, you know, and it, it, the brake lines had rusted off, the fuel line had rusted off, and I spent all day Monday and part of Tuesday finishing it up, doing brake and fuel lines on this town car. So I said, well, I'm glad to get rid of this car. This car will go, and one less one less big problem child out of the shop, right? The next one that rolls in the door was a 2010 Chevy Tahoe. Now, I don't know what the engineer was thinking. You know, sooner or later, motor mounts fail on everything. I've got to think he was thinking, we'll make it so that they never can change it. Because no no human being with an ounce of common sense designed this. You have to jack the engine up on the one side. Okay, I get that part. You have to take off the heat shield that's attached to the exhaust manifold with these little tiny 10-millimeter uh, um, head, 6-millimeter thread bolts. Now, what happens after 175,000 miles? You know, do you think something's going to rust, a steel bolt and a cast iron manifold that's going to rust together? No. Why would that happen? So you have to get these apart. You've got to take the wheelhouse out, the inner wheel uh, fender liner. 
you've got to take apart the steering shaft that's now rusted together from the upper intermediate shaft to the lower steering box shaft. You just, like, where's the logic? And there's no place to go. It's, 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 you need a quarter of an inch every which way to do the job. You've got four bolts holding it to the block, three to the frame. You've got seven bolts holding the motor mount together. It's, you know, there aren't that many bolts in the Titanic. Well, maybe that's why there weren't that Maybe that's why the Titanic went down, right? There should have been more bolts. I correct myself. But you get the point. So that was Tuesday. Wednesday, I got to work on the Subaru. Whoop-de-doo in my Subaru. We've had this Subaru for a while. Just just finally got into it whole hog this week, that has this, well, I have to go back, because it really started in December. In December, the car came to me because it had been to the dealer a couple of times and a few other repair shops, and it had this intermittent rough idle bucking problem, didn't run well in the rain, just was, you know, a bag of donuts. It just, nothing was right with the car. And all I could prove in December was that in wet, rainy weather, the ignition wires broke down and it developed a misfire on cylinders two and four, and the spark plugs were gapped at 50, 52 thousandths beyond spec. They were more than double spec. So, yeah, 137,000 miles is time for plugs and wires. And for an ounce of good measure, we put a coil on it because there's such problem childs on children on uh, Subarus. So it came back to us three months later, four months later, Every once in a while, its rough idle was still there, and it, it was getting worse. Well, and I get it. You know, we had never seen the rough idle in its, in, its, in, in its true form back in December. And, you know, you always fix what you know is bad and move on to the next thing. And with some careful deductive reasoning and logic, I looked at fuel trim. Fuel trim, and we've talked about fuel trim here, you know, you and I. And, and if you've missed those conversations, stick around. I'm sure I'll have one probably today. But here was a car, and this is how valuable fuel trim is. Here was a car with negative 25% fuel trim, meaning the engine saw it was overfueling by 25% off its base fuel trim, and it was pulling fuel away by shutting down the injectors, and the car just ran terrible. Went through normal diagnostics, and one of the key diagnostics on a Subaru of this vintage, an 03 Outback, is to careful consideration of and testing and measurement of the air fuel sensor, what you might call an oxygen sensor. You're looking to see how does it react and what is it doing. And part of the test, because it's interesting to note that, that when you read the diagnostic information, they, they tell you right in there that you can do step one, two, and three, and then when you get to that, put a sensor in it because there's no accurate test for the air fuel sensor. So you really feel comfortable working on this car. You've got to troubleshoot. Well, but look at what they're telling you to do. They're telling you to eliminate the obvious by telling you to look for what's good. Show me what's good, and you'll know what's bad. And we say that all the time here. Um, I say that all the time in the shop, and, and, and Subaru Technical Information is saying the same thing. You know, figure out what's good. If everything else around it is good, then the sensor itself is bad. In the case of the Subaru, the sensor tested good. It didn't fail, even though there's no accurate test for it. So I had to sit back and come to another, gee, where am I going with this car? I went home Wednesday night, and I, I slept on it, as I sometimes do. Um, you know, I develop AIR, automotive, uh, ARI, automotive repair insomnia. You sit there and you think about cars at 3 in the morning, like, what am I missing? And I realized what this 03 Subaru has, and I haven't seen it in such a long time, you, you forget, right? And I came in Thursday morning, unbolted the EGR valve. EGR is exhaust gas recirculation. It, it recirculates exhaust back into the 
engine into the mixture to help lower cylinder temperature re to reduce emissions. And I take the EGR valve off, and the EGR valve is stuck a quarter of the way open. You can't have exhaust flow on an engine, any engine, at idle. It was making a rough idle. So I got out my EGR bypass kit, which was Danny's, Danny, Danny has a, a Snapple iced tea in a can um, every, every morning, and, you know, he's still looking for his iced tea. He doesn't know what happened to it. I, you know, poured it, and it's gone. And I, you know, made, made the snips. I snipped around it and, um, you know, made the bypass plate and put the, and the car works. The car's fixed. So, well, not really fixed. I ordered an EGR valve for it because you can't send it out like that. But, you know, that was Thursday. What did I do on Friday? Oh, on Friday. Friday was the best day of all this week at the shop. We caught up on all the headaches. Um, we hung the exhaust on the F-250. We, we had to buy, we, had a 20, we have a 2016 Ford F-250 Super Duty that needed exhaust. It broke at the resonator. And it's a, it's a tow vehicle, and it hauls a lot of weight. And so we, we opted to buy exhaust again back from Ford. $700 later. Um, but, you know, big, heavy stuff. I mean, it took the two of us to carry this thing. It was a big monster piece of pipe. Um, that was fixed. And then Friday afternoon, I got to do the most fun thing all week. I got to work on the Monte Carlo. So paint the frame a little bit. I'm getting, I think, Monday. Monday, if I get some time, I'll hang the suspension on the left side, and then we'll go take the right side apart. The bottom line is, the thing about auto repair is you never know what the diversity is of what you're going to face. I started the week running brake and fuel lines on an 88 Lincoln Town car, a car 31 going on 32 years old, and I finished the week putting exhaust on an F-250 XLT pickup truck, a Super Duty double door. And in the middle, I had some diagnostics on an 03 Subaru and a basic engine mount that wasn't so basic on a 2010 Tahoe. It's the diversity. It's, it's, the, it's something different every day, and it's something that, you know, it's problem solving, I think, at its best, that if you really want to, if you're thinking about a career, and that's where I'm going with this, if you're thinking about you want to do something with your life that's different, that's, you know, there's never a dull moment, you know, in the right circumstance, maybe auto repair is it. Um, been doing it 40-something years, and you know what? I'm still excited to go to work every day because I really don't think I go to work. I get to go hang out and, and, and play with cars. It's, you know, but anyway, that was my week. That's what it's about. And that diversification is what this radio show is about. And that's what you're going to get a sample of if you stick around with us this hour, because I am Ron Anany and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Don't call us. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Hey, welcome back. Let's get over and talk to Bill in Maine, 02 Pontiac Grand Am. Bill, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. It's uh, 2000, uh, 2002 Pontiac Grand Am V6, uh, high mileage, like 224,000 miles. I, I've it's developed uh, it's sort of like a surge when it's hot. Um, the gear right below overdrive. Okay. I, if that's third gear, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's a four-speed automatic. Uh, when it when it downshifts, like on a grade um, on, on the interstate, 70 miles an hour or whatever, uh, downshifts the the tachometer, and you can feel the engine uh, speeding up, slowing down. 
uh, about one, maybe 300 RPMs. Okay. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. Other than that, it, it, it upshifts fine. It's, uh, it's fine when it's cold. Um, and I want to sell it on Craigslist, but uh, I don't want to sell it if there's something wrong, seriously wrong with it. it, it it's it, not it's, worth so much it, money. It, it, I just it, was wondering if yeah. you, you had an idea. It, it's only under load, right, Bill? If, if you're sitting at idle, at idle smooth. It's, it's, it's not an idle surge there. It's an idle surge under load on the road. Yeah, either idle surge or the transmission slipping. Well, don't say idle surge. Idle surge, you know, it's it's not at idle. If you're sitting at a traffic light, the engine idles smooth and the RPM stays steady, correct? That that's correct. Yeah. Right. It's it's you're doing 55, 60, 65 out on the interstate and as it's shifting through the gears, it starts. It, it's almost like the RPM starts to hunt for position, or there's an idle flare if you're if you're rolling along it. 60 miles an hour at 1800 rpm as you watch it it'll just gradually creep up to 2000 and then back down to 1800 and then back up again it's it's always hunting it, it's never a steady rpm or it's not a steady rpm anymore fair description that's correct but yeah. it's only in that third gear the, right. the gear okay. right below overdrive okay. what what's probably going on and there's no check engine light there are no fault codes in this i'll ask that question but i think i already know the answer to it right there's there's no, no dash there's indicators no yeah okay What's probably going on here is, and what's what's really suspect, what's what's not uncommon, is the torque converter. The torque converter clutch is slipping inside the trans. Uh, you ever okay. you, you ever been in a stick car, um, you know, four speed, five speed, and you're rolling along in gear, and by accident you sort of maybe you're with somebody, they ride the clutch a little bit, so the clutch is partially disengaged, and they're just applying a steady gas to the throttle and the, the RPM starts to creep up a little bit until they realize what they do and then they, they let off on the clutch or they let off on the on, on the gas pedal. It, it, it changes RPM and it, it, it changes the ability of the clutch in the manual trans to transmit power from the engine to the transmission to the drive wheels. Have you ever experienced that? Yes, I have. Okay. That's 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 probably what's going on with this. And it's 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 simple enough to, to, to diagnose it would take a scan tool and, and somebody to look at the numbers. There's a there, there's a couple of pieces of information. Um, one is they'd want to go look at torque converter clutch duty cycle, which is the PCM, the powertrain control module, commands the torque converter clutch to apply or disengage at a certain rate or ratio. And it, as long as it's applying, they typically you'd see torque converter duty cycle above zero, which means the PCM is commanding TCC on during the during the issue. Um, at, at that moment, if we could, you know, override the torque converter clutch with a solenoid, command the solenoid to 100%, see if the slip RPM comes down below 50, and and, and if we do, is the surge gone? All right. If the surge is gone, then the problems in the PCM. If the surge is still present, in other words, then the problem's in the trans. In, in other words, there's 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 three components here. There's a powertrain control module or a PCM. There's a torque converter clutch, which is the the mechanical or fluid connection. It's the fluid connection that creates the mechanical lock between the engine and the transmission, and the torque converter solenoid, which applies hydraulic pressure to lock up the clutch inside the converter. Did you ever have a mini bike as a kid? No. Okay. If you ever see a centrifugal clutch, how a centrifugal clutch works? 
on the side of a like lawnmower. Like a chainsaw. Yeah, yeah like, yep. a, like on a chainsaw. Perfect. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, uh, the faster it goes as it applies more load, the, the, the pressure pushes the shoes out and locks to the drum to, to, to lock yep. that chainsaw up so that it, it, it's, it's a one-to-one um, effort. Well, same thing. We've got we've got a similar type of setup. Shoes inside the converter. That hydraulic fluid pushes against to lock into the drum of the converter to create a solid mechanical lock between the engine and the transmission. If if the piece that's controlling it, the powertrain control module, is requesting the lock to be less than what's required it's going to cause the engine to surge in speed because it's like somebody pressing on that clutch pedal in the manual trans car, right? So, right. you know, what we want to look at is, can we override the PCM and tell it to command the TCC or the torque converter clutch at 100%? If we can do that, all right, then we know that the torque converter clutch is mechanically capable of being locked and maintaining pressure under load. If we can't, if we if we tell it to lock at 100%, but it doesn't, then we've got to think that the torque converter clutch itself is, is an issue. But we've also got to look at how much slip RPM we've got. All right? But chances okay. are it's, it's, it's somewhere in the trans. It's, it's either trans or PCM, and, you know, a shop with a scan tool can diagnose it. If you need, you know, if you need, I can, I, I've got a diagnostic routine for it somewhere. I'm more than glad to email it to you if you send me a note, ron at cardoctorshow.com, and, um, okay. uh, you know, I can, I, I can kind of walk you through it that way. But, you know, chances are you're, you're in the neighborhood of a trans or a, or a powertrain control module. So, you know, it's, it's listen, somebody may take the car and go, you know, it's, it's, it's an O2, it's got high mileage on it. Maybe you price it appropriately because it's probably a non-economical repair at this point in its life. And, you know, maybe they get another year out of it the way it sits and somebody's happy to get a car that just gets them around at some level. All right, sir, give that a shot. If you need me, Ron, at cardoctorshow.com, drop me a note, and I'll be glad to send you more information. I'm Ron Anany, the car doctor, and I'm back right after this. back running the car doctor you know i was i was reading um something from the car care council carcare.org they're talking about that the average tax refund this year is expected to be nearly three thousand dollars and they're encouraging people to consider doing some maintenance and um you know i get that on their automobile and you know i understand that they talk about how maintenance on the automobile uh, you know can save you more money in the long run by by you do a little bit now preventative maintenance it prevents the bigger problem from later on so um, just something to think about. The uh, Car Care Council points out with proper care, the typical vehicle today should deliver at least 200,000 miles of safe, dependable performance. The most common routine maintenance procedures and repairs include checking the oil, filters, fluid, belts, hoses, brakes, tires, and the HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system. The nonprofit Car Care Council also recommends an annual tune-up of sorts and wheel alignment. Routine car care will help keep your vehicle running dependably, uh, concluded Rich White, the uh, um, uh, uh, executive director of the Car Care Council, more at carcare.org. Yeah, and I, I applaud that. You know what? Um, regardless, but it's you know it's not a bad idea this time of year. Set a little bit of that tax refund aside and uh, get that car in shape because summer driving is 
right around the corner. Let's get on over and talk to Shane, Michigan, 86 Travel Master Motorhome, Ford E350 um, frame set up there. Shane, what can I do for you? Ron and Anian at your service. How can I help? Well, I've had this motorhome for about a year, and my biggest issue, really my only issue with it, is that my fuel gauge does not work. I took it into a Ford dealership uh, specifically for that reason. They looked at all the wiring, the sending unit, the sensor, everything. Uh, Couldn't figure out what the problem was, but then they told me that all the parts to replace this are obsolete. So I'm looking for some options on an aftermarket fuel gauge that I can uh, drive down the road safely and know how much gas I've got. Okay. So, I mean, you know, the first thing somebody's got to do is diagnose it. And I, you know, how, how can I explain it? We had a, um, I'll tell you the story this way. We had a, what car was that? Oh, we had a, we had a 2016 GMC Sierra this week. That I got an education this week on something. Um, we had to put tire pressure sensors in it. And we put four tire pressure sensors in the Sierra, and then we had to flash it. We had to, we had to burn the sensor ID into the sensor to get into the vehicle so that the vehicle knew where the, you know, that it had the sensors and where the tires were and so on. Now, okay. every time we've used this brand of sensor, when we, when we make a copy or a clone or we burn the number, it always says erasing flash and then burning flash. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there's always some information inside these sensors, all right? Long story short, there's nothing in these sensors. And the tool needs physical contact, or it needed physical contact until I got the last update. I could solve the problem wirelessly, which I did. My point is, as part of the diagnosis to figure out, gee, is my tool broken, or is it all, you know, how can I have four bad sensors that the tool can't read? I got another sensor out of the shelf, went up to the tool, and the tool wouldn't read that sensor either. The point is, I always try to separate the problem and break it down into English, into something I can understand bite sizes at a time. You know, I don't care whether it's a motorhome or a kitty car. How does the gas gauge work? How is it supposed to work? It's a float. It's a wire. Uh, there's got to be power going up to the gauge, and it's a resistance value that changes in the tank as the float rises and falls. So, you know, you'll, you'll have to do a little research, obviously. What's the range? Is it, if we're going to try and stay with the stock gauge, we need to find a sender that has a similar resistance value that perhaps we could cut the, the sensing portion out of, solder it in, and create our own uh, sending uh, sensor, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, yep, I'm on, I'm on right. the page with you. You know, I, I always say... You ever watch, you ever watch um, Barrett Jackson and you look at some of these cars that don't exist anymore and they've completely restored this oddball 1938 Chevy something and you go, where do they get the parts for it? Right. You know, if they can manufacture and make those parts fit, I'm sure we can get a gas gauge working in a motorhome. How hard could it be? Uh, you know, it's it's. but the point becomes we've got to diagnose it. So, you know, somebody's got to get under there regardless of what it is. We're looking for somebody to go under the tank or get to the tank wire with a variable resistor and change the resistance from 0 to 90 ohms or 0 to 75 ohms, which is a typical sensor uh, range value for a gas tank sender. And watch what the gas gauge does. If at 0, it's at E, and at 75 ohms, it's at full, and at 37 ohms, it's roughly half, then guess what? The gauge works. The circuit works. The wiring's there. We need a sender. All right? If, if the gauge doesn't move by varying the resistance and we've established that it's a variable resistor-style sender, which it should be, 
then we know where the problem is in wiring or the, or the gauge. So before we start trying to replace everything, let's try and figure out what's bad. It's it's you know it still has mechanical laws of physics governing it, no matter how big it is. If you know what I'm saying, all right. Now, are the senders fairly universal in the sense that uh, maybe the same sender that I would need on my vehicle would fit on a, on another vehicle? Are they that universal, or are they pretty model-specific? Mm, they're, they, they're universal up to the point of tank design and construction. It all depends on what that tank came from. If, if, that's, a, if, if that's an F-350 gas tank... Then you know a sender from any F three fifty from nineteen eighty six that vintage is going to work. Okay, and that would be my next question: Is the gas tank going to be the same, even though it's on an E three fifty van frame? Is it going to be the same uh, that it would be on a van compared to what it is on a motorhome? Is it has it been modified because it's a motorhome? And that I don't know. Right, and and the only way we're going to know that is I would compare gallonage and physical dimension. Okay. All right. You know, if if they've got it on a if it's a standard E three fifty frame or has it been modified or lengthened? Do you know? Well, I would have to assume that it's been modified. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's a twenty seven foot motorhome, and I couldn't tell you exactly what a nineteen eighty six three fifty passenger yeah, van I, I don't would think, be lengthwise. Yeah, I don't think they're quite. Uh, I don't know how long they would be. You know what? There's there's a case for Wikipedia. Go go Google search and look up wheelbase. And, and and see what they come up with, but my okay. my point becomes got to figure out what's broken. If you can get the gauge to work, all right, um, by by putting a variable resistor in there, and you can and you know the circuit's good, then we know it's in the tank, and then we can go after the sender. Can you get to the sender at the top of the tank without having to lower the tank? No, from what I understand, and I had a certified mechanic at a Ford dealership tell me all these things. In order to do that, you'd have to drop the tank. Yeah, okay. So then what we want to do is, because I'm getting lazy as I get older, um, I want to pull the wire off. There's going to be a single wire going to the top of the tank to to you know feel resistance. All they're doing is it's just it's just there's a magnetic field with applied voltage at the gauge. Okay. There's okay. there's a resistance value on the sender in the tank, all right? As it varies resistance and pulling the signal to ground more or less, it, it, it changes the magnetic field pull on the gauge of the dashboard and makes the needle go from E to F. That's all it okay. is. That's the way it's worked on everything, whether it's a 55 Chevy, an 86 motorhome, or a 2017 Ford whatever, all right? So, you know, first things first. Take it somewhere. Take it to somebody. Hey, can you diagnose the gas gauge? All right. Can you diagnose this gas gauge the way you diagnose a gas gauge on any car of this vintage? I'm not worried about the fact that it's a motorhome. Let them come okay. back to you and say, yeah, it's a sending unit. Now, if you could get the sender out of the tank, you could you could tell whether or not the sender's any good just using a, a, a digital volt ohm meter, measuring resistance, doing a sweep test of the sender. All right. Did you ever... Okay. Um, did you ever have, uh, I'm trying to think, um, did you ever have slot cars as a kid? I, yes, I did. Okay. So, you know, there was those little commutator motors in there with the brushes, and, you know, they would spin around and make contact with the armature and all that. Well, you could, yeah. you could, you could, you know, you ever do a resistance check where you could look at the resistance across the brushes and spin the armature around, and you would look to see, do you have a bad spot on the commutator? Do you have a, a, a rough spot that the motor's not spinning as smooth and easy as it should? It was, it was a sweep test of a sort, right? You can do the same thing with the you can do the same thing with the sender. 
It's just going to have a, a toilet bowl-style float attached to it, and there's going to be a sensor on the other end that has a sweep to it. Here's, here's a resistance value of zero. Here's a resistance value of 75. And as you move it up and down, it's going to change the resistance on the meter. You could sweep test the sensor. You might even find that there's just a sediment buildup on the face or the foil of the resistor value, and cleaning it with some approved electrical cleaner will cause that resistance value to come back to back to market. I wouldn't be afraid of this. I really wouldn't, Shane. I think with a little okay. bit of knowledge and a little bit of elbow grease, getting the tank out is going to be the biggest problem. But as far as diagnosing what the gauge is, you know, whether it's the gauge, the sender, or the wiring, I think that's pretty easy and simple to do. Go through those things. I'm up against the clock, babe. If you need more information, email me, ron, at cardoctorshow.com. I'll do what I can for you, but I bet we can fix this. All right? Take good care. I'm Ron and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the the car doctor. I want to talk to you a little bit about Earth Day. You know, it was just Earth Day recently, and we're talking about the environment. And um, The automobile does obviously have such a big impact on the environment. And, you know, I can tell you from running a repair shop, um, it, it's difficult at times, right? You're, you're always trying to keep the place clean. You're always trying to do the right thing. And um, you've always got to think about, you know, getting rid of uh, the metals and, 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 and the chemicals and the waste oil and, and, and batteries, right? Um, Johnson Controls has taken some uh, major steps uh, in, in recycling batteries. They've, they've come out with a press release, and I want to just go over it and talk about it a little bit. Um, they point out to help consumers find a nearby facility to recycle used vehicle, boat, motorcycle, or lawn garden batteries. Johnson Controls, the world's largest manufacturer and recycler of vehicle batteries, is encouraging consumers to visit the website www.recyclingmybattery.com. Vehicle batteries are by far the world's most recycled consumer product, says Ray Shemansky, Vice President and General Manager Aftermarket Johnson Controls Power Solutions. Up to 99% of standard vehicle batteries can be recycled and reused. Up to 99% of a standard vehicle battery, I'm sorry, of a standard. So they're saying, I didn't know that. 99% of a standard vehicle battery, the componentry, can be recycled and reused to make new batteries or other products. Today, 99% of all used vehicle batteries are collected and recycled in the U.S. Still, every year, more than 1 million used batteries are not recycled. And that's a shame. You know, I, I often think because we'll take scrap. We, we scrap all the rotors, all the steel from the shop, um, all the exhaust, whatever we can. Two, three times a year, we'll take a ride down to the scrapyard on a quiet Friday and we'll drop off scrap. And I can't tell you how many batteries that we see down there that, and I don't know if, I don't know if just lying around in the open like that is a proper recycling, you know, a recycling center. Um, they're taking the batteries in, they're checking them in, they're breaking them down. I'm not quite sure what they do with them in a, in a, in a scrap yard, per se. I don't think they're properly recycling, but um, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Last year, more than 60,000 people visited the company's website, RecyclingMyBattery.com, to learn more about battery recycling. Johnson Controls has made a commitment to design, make, transport, and recycle batteries in the safest, most sustainable way. When building a new battery, the company uses up to 80% recycled materials. And you've got to figure with electric cars, right, you know, batteries in electric cars, hybrids, and, and where we're going, that you know, the need to recycle uh, batteries you know, on a continuing basis is, is, is only going to grow. Johnson Controls recycled its first vehicle battery in, Mikey, you want to take a year, What's the, uh, a guess as to what year? You're never going to get this. I was shocked to read this. Johnson Controls recycled the first vehicle battery in what year? Can I get a hint? Um, 
Yeah, it was sometime in the last decade, or last century, I'm sorry. 1904. I was going to guess 1923. Well, no, it's not related to Tom's birthday. Today, the company uses its 100 years of experience to increase recycling rates and the development of new recycling systems around the around the world. More information at RecyclingMyBattery.com. That's, um, you know, that's a, uh, I see Tom's voting. That's, um... That's a that's a really recyclingmybattery.com. You know what? It's we we we've got to do more to help the environment because uh, Mother Earth is all we've got. So um, just very very important. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron Anning, the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron Anning, the Car Doctor. Next hour, well, this hour kind of flew by. Next hour, OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy by Steve Cook. We're going to be giving away a copy of that somewhere in the course of the uh, second hour today. OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. Great book. Covers all the highlights. You know, covers the highlights. It, it, let me cover the highlights. Talks about, um, you know, OBD2 Diagnostics. Um, breaks things down, talks about everything from temperature sensors, coolant sensors, pressure sensors, to can diagnosing what U codes are, engine compression balancing act. I should read this book. This would probably be a good. Uh, I've done. I've sat up in bed. I've read. My wife goes, "What are you reading?" She looks at the cover. She's like, "No, you can't." I just, you know, it's, I don't know. She's reading these romance novels. I mean, to me, this is exciting stuff. I mean, this is more important than that. But regardless, we'll give that away next hour. I want to talk a little bit about Real Fix Sure Track from the folks over at Mitchell Mitchell One. Uh, you know, one of the things about auto repair is you can't assume or believe that you're the only guy to ever see that problem. It's a big world out there, and somebody else has seen it. And the value of community is really coming full circle, and you can see it in a lot of the organizations that are being set up for mechanics to help mechanics. Real Fix Sure Track is the fastest path to fixed, as Mitchell states, because it really does help put technicians together, and all of a sudden, instead of your one guy in the shop or two guys in the shop working on a problem, now you're 500 guys in the shop working on the problem, and that's what the Real Fix Sure Track path of repair is all about. An intermittent issue led a technician on a journey to find the actual issue. The Sure Track community comes to the rescue, the article points out. Sure Track community member Christopher had a 2011 Dodge Journey in the shop that had an intermittent problem with the transmission. After trying several repairs, they posed the question to the community. And with the help of fellow community member James and others, they were able to resolve the issue quickly. The following fix summarizes the interaction between members of the community that led to the solution. It was a 2011 Dodge Journey. The vehicle went into limp mode intermittently, meaning that there was an issue, or so it thought there was an issue with the transmission that wouldn't allow the transmission to shift properly. The vehicle went into limp mode and set a PW 765 or P0765 fault code. It happened at idle or going slow, turn, stop sign, etc. After going through several diagnostic routines and checking everything that they could possibly check, after having several conversations with members in the group, it was brought up to check all the connectors and all the plugs in that particular circuit. And sure enough, one of the main wiring harness plugs was loose. It hadn't been reinstalled properly on a previous repair. Plugging it in and firmly seated it fixed the car. Sometimes simple is the way to go, and simple fixes the car. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor, reminding you good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya.